everybody, and welcome to tonight's episode of The Report, a special edition that I'm hosting with our regular guest and redistricting expert, Morris, along with uh, Derek Cunningham. Uh, and today we're going to be discussing the new numbers released from the census with regards to congressional reapportionment. And these numbers effectively determine how many House seats every state will have come the next um, redistricting cycle. So we're going to go over. Uh, Eric, can you pull up the map first so I can go over? Uh, if you will. Oh, sure. States yeah, that let's pull this up right here. House seats and the states that lost House seats. I'm going to go over what we saw. Then I'm going to go over some of the notable upsets. And then after that, we're basically going to make this a discussion, a discussion, if you will. Um, so if we want to look first at some of the predominant stuff, I'm going to talk about two things that we expected to happen that just didn't pan out. The first of which is Rhode Island. There was a lot of major expectation that Rhode Island would only be, would be reduced to one at-large district and that Rhode Island would not retain its two individual seats for James Langevin and Dave Cicilline. But it uh, turns out that's not true. According to the census estimates, Rhode Island will be maintaining both of its House districts. The other difference came in Arizona, where we expected the state to gain a 10th House district. That ultimately did not pan out either. They'll be sticking with nine House districts. Uh, another one that I heard some people discussing was Minnesota early on in the cycle, a while back uh, in Minnesota and in Alabama. People were expecting both states to lose a seat. Ultimately, though, Minnesota will retain its eight seats and Alabama will retain its seven seats. Um, and I think Eric's putting the map back up. But now to go over some of the major changes before I throw to the panel. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, thanks, Eric. But first off, some of the notable changes. So California is losing a seat. California is going from 53 House seats to 52. Another state that's notably losing a seat is New York. Now, some expected New York to lose two seats early in the cycle, but instead they'll be going from 27 seats to 26 seats. Uh, most of the states scattered throughout the Rust Belt will also be losing one seat. Uh, those states include Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, um, Michigan and Illinois. They will all be losing one individual seat. So Pennsylvania will now have 17 seats. West Virginia will now only have two seats. So it'll be interesting to see if they follow the traditional north-south divide or if they pioneer somehow a new east-west divide. Um, and if we want to go down here again, North Carolina, as Eric will be happy to mention, is gaining a seat. Mm -hmm. Florida is gaining a seat. Colorado, Montana, and Oregon are gaining a seat individually, particularly notable in Montana because it's going back to two seats, something it hasn't had since the 90s but had for a very long time before this drought in which the state had one seat. And mm -hmm. the state with the most gain or the most change, I should say, on the map is Texas, where Texas is gaining. The Lone Star State is going to gain two seats this time around, two new house seats. So overall, quite a lot of change, uh, but very interesting stuff here. And feel free, we appreciate our viewers to comment, and we'll be discussing that. But first, I guess, we'll start off uh, by throwing it to our panelists. So I'll throw it over to Eric first. Eric, what are your thoughts so far on the changes? Any surprises? Yeah, my first thought watching this was, was wow. I, I watched it live, and after about 15 minutes of rambling about things nobody cared about, they finally got to the actual numbers. Um, and when, when they did, I think everyone was surprised. People had noticed that Rhode Island had showed up. Um, it, in a rating on there as being having a higher population than Montana. So people assumed that Montana would not get the seat, so Rhode Island kept it. Um, and truly probably one of the most shocking, I think, redistricting moments you know, in recent history. 
uh, Rhode Island was written off as definitely losing that House district. Uh, I mean, it's a weird state to go over. It's the smallest in the country geographically. And like a lot of the Northeast, I mean, it's just not been keeping up in population growth. But instead, it really turned out to you know to have a little bit of a an edge here in some ways that people hadn't been expecting. The other one that really got off to me was New York. Um, not only had New York had notorious undercount in the previous decade, uh, the, 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 20, uh, the 2000s uh, census in 2010, uh, they obviously had the largest brunt of COVID deaths in the country in terms of relative to their population overall, certainly up there. Uh, that was generally assumed to put the nail in the coffin, not just for one seat, but two. Instead, this is the first time in seven decades that New York is not losing two or more congressional districts. They used to have 45. Now they're down to 26. Um, I mean, that's definitely big. One other thing that's not going to be showing up on here is how close some of these other states got. Ohio was closer to keeping its its 16th district than Texas or Arizona were to gaining. Uh, if you look at even more specifically, New Jersey was in the top 10 states that could have gained a seat. They were very, very close, relatively speaking. To I mean, as close as almost as close as Texas, Arizona, places like that, to gaining another congressional district. Um, we just saw kind of this massive undercount in a lot of these states and these projections, these estimations from the ACS that turned out to be wildly inaccurate. And um, obviously they're estimates, but to see them this off in some of these major states is really big. Final thing I'll mention, Latino undercount seems to be a thing. Um, Arizona, Texas, Florida, what do those states have in common? We thought they were going to gain more seats, and they also have a lot of Hispanic voters. A lot of them. Hispanic residents, I should say. Many of whom are non-citizens or leave or live in more difficult to find rural areas. Arizona is even worse because it's a substantial Native American community, which has the same issues. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that those three states in particular saw such a um, such a problem in terms of getting the results we thought they were. We thought Texas would gain three, Florida would gain two, and Arizona would gain one. Instead, they all Texas gains two, Florida gains one, Arizona gains none. Um, really, really fascinating stuff overall. And Nick, what do you think? Well, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, my first thought, like um, starting off from when the video began, from when the press conference began, I was looking at the numbers they were putting out. And the first number I saw when they started doing that was when they said that there would be a turnover of seven seats. At that moment, I was like, no, I was completely wrong. Because I was expecting ten, I was, I was expecting uh, I was expecting Texas to gain three seats. I was expecting ex expecting Florida to gain two, which annoys me because I drew a perfect twenty nine district map of Florida the other day, and now <laughs> it didn't mean anything. But yeah, we got a I got um, a lot of things inaccurate, and I think somewhere that I went wrong is that I didn't really take into account the fact that there was a margin of error. Because this this is what looks like is happening in some of these in some of these numbers. If you think about it, like all of the estimates that came out in the last in the last few years were from the same people. It was from the from the ACS, the American Community Service Survey, which I think which I think the Census Bureau uses. This is a and yeah, I just didn't really didn't really think about how how high of a margin of error they, these estimates would have. And I was actually looking at some of these some of these numbers. 
I, I got up a little spreadsheet which has the estimates that came out this year. And I compared them to the actual results. And I, I looked at the states which had the which had um, the biggest underestimations and overestimations. I made a tweet about this a few minutes ago. The states which had the high, the which the estimates like over underestimated the most were states like New Jersey and New York, and of course Rhode Island, um, which is interesting because New York, I, I was I was thinking, yeah, I think this will this will lose two seats. It's not guaranteed. Um, a lot of estimates did show it um, going, staying at, uh, well, not really staying, because it's still dropping a seat, going down to 26 rather than 25. But it not only kept that 26th district, it was like 60 people away from keeping the 27th, which really... 89. Really yeah, literally 89 people away from taking it away from Minnesota. Mm, exactly, yeah. And... Um, yeah, aside from that, yeah, just the, just the ones that everyone's been looking at. Arizona, I fully expected that to gain a 10 seat. Rhode Island, of course, I expected that to drop down to one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Eric mentioned Hispanic undercounts. I That could be a thing. That could easily be a thing. I'm, I'm not going to confirm or deny anything, but looking at, at those results, it couldn't. It could just be a coincidence. Like Arizona and Texas and Florida, they both, the estimates underestimated their population a lot. But if you look at, if you look at a state like California, California is, uh, the estimates actually had, had a lower population from, the estimates actually showed, showed a lower population to what the actual population ended up being. It was 39.3 million rather than 39.5 million, which was what it actually was. And that caused it to like comfortably keep his keep the rich second district. California has a huge amount of Hispanics. And if you look at other states like New Mexico, Nevada, I guess, um, Nevada was actually no, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong area. Nevada was undercounted, under yeah. underestimated. But yeah, it, it could be, it could be, uh, it could be that they were undercounted, but I don't know. I, I, I might play around with that so a bit. Let me ask. Uh, let me transition the conversation over for the viewers to how this reapportionment will impact redistricting. So I'll throw it in the reverse this time. I'll throw it to Nick first. Nick, do you have any thoughts in particular uh, in terms of the fate of redistricting in some of these states? Uh, any thoughts on which states will be most affected by uh, basically reapportionment surprises? Mm. Yeah, let me just think about that one. That, that's a that's a head scratcher. Um, you guys Alabama, can both answer it. It's up to you know. It's just you know, open debate. Yeah, Alabama yeah. Is, I, is one that I have in mind because because uh, they have a VRA protected seat, that, so they can't eliminate a Democrat. So keeping the seven seats benefits Republicans, I guess. And mm -hmm. yeah, other examples. It's, it's, it's difficult to tell because like they're going to draw these maps with the same intentions. And I think I think mainly you have to look at the really like granular de details of redistricting to have an idea. Like uh, I guess Florida will be another one. I think Florida, I consider it a fair map now that has 
13 like democratic leaning districts um i don't really think there's much area for democrats to gain for them for them gaining a district but i guess they can be glad that they're not gaining too because that would I mean, be here, let me just share my screen over here because i think the viewers might find this interesting um because what you've been talking about you talked a lot about states that were in the runner-up to either maintain or possibly gain another congressional district that ultimately didn't um here is a list of the top 10 runner-up states to almost gain, or in the case of a state like New York, or, you know, maintain another district. Uh, I mean, I mean, here, look, I mean, New York was incredibly close to maintaining its 27th district. Ohio was close to maintaining its 16th district. And both of those states ultimately lost only one district, uh, whereas a state like New York, as you mentioned, was expected to lose two districts. Um, and if you look at Texas, if you look at Florida, Arizona, these are all states that, I mean, Texas would be, was on the verge of gaining, I believe, three seats instead of two seats. And um, a state like Florida was on the verge of gaining two seats instead of one seat. Uh, Arizona obviously didn't gain a 10th district ultimately. But I think it's interesting once you get down here to the bottom of this list, if you look at some of these states. I mean, California had a chance to hold all its seats. And Idaho in particular had a chance to gain a third district. This is something that we can certainly expect after the 2030 census, but a lot of people weren't expecting Idaho to come this close in this census. I mean, even my yeah. home state of New Jersey, New Jersey was close to gaining a 13th seat, which would have been fascinating. And now I'm going to have to go draw some hypothetical 13th seat New Jersey maps. <laughs> because it looks like it's on pace to. I mean, next to, I mean, the takeaway I get from this is that the Midwest and North, Northeast – they staved off a disaster, and it's going to come next time. Next cycle is going to be absolutely brutal for these states. New York, um, Rhode Island for sure, Illinois, Michigan, uh, you know, Ohio, well, Idaho, or, uh, Idaho. I mean, Minnesota. Idaho is looking good. Idaho will definitely yeah. have a third district by next time. If they were this close this but, time, yeah. who knows? But West you, Virginia yeah, is another look, one yeah. where you can see an at-large. But look at the – yeah. Look at the population growth, though. All of those states I mentioned, they're going to be losing seats next time. If you look at the pace of this growth, I mean, I have a couple pictures here to kind of show it. I mean, in terms of the actual like population, it's not even close as to what's actually gaining. I mean, you look at the portions of the country that are growing in population. Um, it's the South, which they erroneously have. The census erroneously considers Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, and Maryland to be southern states. But even if you disregard that – 10% growth, 9% in the West, and that's with California dragging up the rear. I mean, this is because of places like Idaho, Utah, Nevada to a degree, Colorado. Midwest, look at this. This is not sustainable for the Midwest in terms of congressional stuff. I mean, just a complete disaster next time around. If you look at the, if you look at the near misses here, I think I wouldn't be surprised if states like Illinois, New York lose a couple of congressional seats next time just off the basis of the rest of this. I mean – you have states like Texas, Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, all all on the verge of gaining additional congressional districts. Um, Tennessee is one I think I could see in the future as well with growth in Nashville, Knoxville, um, lots of other areas. It's just a really challenging environment. Um, I do want to do a little bit of a commemoration for these seats that will be gone. Um, obviously, we have seven seats that are gone, and I, I created a brief little meme, just a, just a joke. But, I mean, you look at these right here, <laughs> California, 53, Illinois, 18, Michigan, New, New York, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. 
all Rust Belt states, except with the exception of California, um, you know, Pennsylvania 18, these are all going to be incumbents that are going to be out of a seat. And I think Sarah Jacobs in 53 might be able to have an opportunity somewhere else. Illinois is probably going to be a Republican loss. Michigan doesn't really matter. It's a commission. New York is unusual. And Ohio, other these others have rules. But One that's going to be really interesting at, to me is West Virginia when you have the third yeah. district scrap. Because what they're probably going to do is – Do you want to say something there? North, well, yeah, North-South, but I was just saying it's interesting to look at Alex Mooney's political future because he's either going to be sandwiched mm-hmm. into a primary with Carol Miller or with David McKinley, and either one he would lose mm-hmm. because he's not a particularly strong yeah. or well-liked Republican in the state. He's a carpetbagger. Carpet yeah, yeah. yeah. West Virginia is a weird state. Alex, yeah. Alex Mooney's a goner. I think the best, yeah, the best bet for him would be to move back to Maryland to move to just to, just by the just, just on the off chance that they get a fair Maryland six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because West Virginia's current map, frankly, is nonsensical. I know it's a traditional draw, but it connects Charleston mm-hmm. with with the Virginia suburbs. It honestly doesn't make any sense as a district. Um, I think Democrats. So the really the only, yeah, yeah, it, it was a traditional seat. The second was the one I believe that was represented by um, by Shelley Moore Capito before mm-hmm. she became a senator. Um, you know, when they get rid of the second, most of that population is going to be bisected on either end. McKinley is very popular, very good fit mm. for that first district, which is that traditional northern one has both – we'll probably have both panhandles after this draw. I'll show you what we're talking about here. The first district, McKinley from Wheeling, uh, Morgantown, these areas are not going to be turf for Mooney. And then the third is coal country, Carol Miller. Um, Charleston's a good fit for that, but you know, all things considered, it's just going to be really tough going for Mooney. Um, he might want to consider a statewide runner running for a judicial office or something. I mean, he's, he, I, mean I, I don't see him winning either of these. No, he wouldn't win either of them. And he's going to be one of the casualties of redistricting that you have every cycle in a primary, unless he somehow decides to retire. Because I highly doubt he would win statewide either in mm-hmm. a primary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not particularly well-liked. If you look at his electoral record, he faced close races in 2014, 2016, and 2018 in a very, very red history. So I don't think Republicans... Yeah, and keep in mind, his opponent in 2014 was constantly attacked left and right for supporting late-term abortion and countless other policies that were, frankly, out of step with West Virginia voters. Yet he still managed to only win the race by three points in 2014. That was less Mm -hmm. Nick Rahal's re-election loss against Evan Jenkins in the mm-hmm. third district. That's how much of an yeah. underperformer he was. I mean, Mooney was basically saved in that race by Capito, who had previously represented that district and was absurdly popular, won every single county in the state, which is which is unusual then. It's not unusual now. Um, it's just super, extremely challenging, I think. And I mean, if I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was the most competitive seat in the state, even in 2018, when Democrats thought they had a mm-hmm. competitive candidate, Richard Ojeda. Um I mean, it, it's it's just a challenging area, I think, overall for him to try to compete. He really should be well served considering a judicial office or something else that gets him out of that fire because he's not going to win a fight against either of those candidates. And I think another state that's kind of interesting to look at is Arizona. It had kind of been a given that they'd gain a 10th congressional district. Everything's kind of thrown in the bushes now, I think. I mean – the current map is not going to be kept. Um, I, I know the commission is not really a big fan of this map. The person chairing it has specifically complained about 
the way Colleen Mathis drew this map. Um, I don't think they're going to keep it. But they also, you know, Arizona's trending Democratic. It's going to be a little bit more of a Democratic map, I would think, in some areas. I'm not really sure who that helps. Um, you know, that 10th seat could have helped a Democrat, could have helped a Republican. We really, really don't know. All it would take is a minor redraw of the first, and it's still a Democrat. It's still a Republican-leaning map if you just redraw the first a little bit, which is what they could do. Yeah, Arizona's very interesting in particular because I think a lot of people were expecting the 10th to be favorable to Republicans, so I'm not quite sure. I mean, a lot of a lot of Arizona maps that I drew had a toss-up 10th. So, um, I mean, I'm going to have to draw some nine-district maps because I don't think I've I... I'm kind of nerding out here since you mentioned it, drawing a three-district Idaho map since it's like... <laughs> it's magical. super fun to draw. Idaho it's is one of my really favorite nice. states to draw. It is a super cool state to draw because you can basically draw a seat that's just Boise in a three-seat map. It's very, very fun. Mm. Um, well, actually, I have yeah, a Rhode Island exactly. map. That, yeah. I mean, I can show Rhode Island maps that I've done. Yeah. I, oh, go I ahead. Show it. Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not finished yet. I'm still working on it. But basically what happens in this map is the second district on my map is just all Boise, basically. And it's fascinating because the Boise seat is competitive. It was one. Yeah. I mean, in, in 2018 for governor, it was an R plus two seat. So, you know, that's mm -hmm. a close Ada seat. County is very competitive now. And and that seat Rhode Island's another one too. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I mean, it's like having a reliable toss-up seat in Idaho mm -hmm. is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And R Rhode yeah. Island even. I mean, I think – Democrats are cheering for now about keeping the second district, um, which is actually the first in this map. I, I drew a little bit off. Long term, I mean, if you look at this right now, look at the trajectory of rural Rhode Island. Um, this is a Trump. This is a Clinton plus seven seat or point Clinton plus point seven seat, I should say. Um, in all likelihood, it would be competitive. I don't think they would draw it this way because they're definitely going to split Providence and definitely split off some of these areas to try and yeah. absorb the more rural areas in Providence County, but. Even if they do that, they're only stalling the inevitable, which is that rural Rhode Island is becoming more Republican. I think this is a traditional problem you see in two-seat maps, where one seat is usually going to be more competitive than the other. Like if you draw a two-seat map of Delaware, the southern seat is going to be generally competitive. Uh, if you draw a two-seat, I think there's another, um, you know, even a two-seat Dakota oh, map, you know, it, north it, and it, south Dakota, the, the urban areas. It, it's interesting to draw expanded maps like this because even a state like Delaware – Going forward into the future, I wouldn't be surprised if Delaware eventually got a second seat. I mean, Delaware mm -hmm. also has been gaining population. Yeah, which is I mean, right now, right now it's actually a pretty neat. We're in a pretty neat situation with the congressional apportionment because every state with a population of more than a million has two congressional districts now. Delaware mm -hmm. is right under it. It's about nine hundred eighty thousand people, if I recall right. The next closest is about a hundred thousand higher. Barring any major changes over the next decade to current trends, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a second Delaware district and a third Idaho district, especially a third Idaho mm -hmm. district. Yeah. Uh, Again, you look at the West. Idaho. Yeah. If you if you just look at the trajectory of where the wet where the population growth is in this country, it's in the organic births. I mean, immigration is a factor as well, but it's the South and it's the bigger it's the urban states even. But it's also, I mean, Alabama was way undercounted. Like substantially undercounted um staggeringly undercounted i would say even louisiana starting to recover and that's yeah, a state that's yeah. really kind of been in a shock not just because of hurricane katrina but it's just been in a stagnant situation for quite a while 
All right, let me quickly show the thing. I made this very, very quickly, so I haven't had time to refine anything on it. But I think it's roughly what you'd see. You'd probably see a Boise-based seat over here that's competitive. I mean, in this case, in this case, the seat, we can expect it to become more competitive on the presidential level over time. But I think this is a more accurate metric of what it could be. You know, this could theoretically be a seat that a Democrat could win. I mean, if you look at the governor's race, very, very close. And this is a very clean map. You know, there are no, there's only one county split in this map. That's it. And it's just to take in Nampa over here because Boise alone, which is going to be within Attic County, is not enough to make a seat. So there's one county split, very clean, two safe Republican seats, one seat that would either be lean Republican or most likely a toss up over the next few years. But I think it's fascinating to look at this map at the potential here for, um, you know, you could have one Democrat in this Idaho delegation in a good year. Yeah. I mean, one of the ones that I find really interesting beyond Idaho in terms of is Delaware. Uh, most of Delaware's growth is concentrated in Newcastle. Yeah. Delaware is concentrated in Newcastle, but those two Southern counties are actually getting more Republican. Uh, they're pretty stable in terms of their Republican vote at this point. Any clean draw of Delaware is going to yield you at least a competitive seat in, on paper. Um, Montana as well. It's, it's a state where the Eastern District or the Western District in all likelihood is going to be more competitive than the Eastern one. I'm not sure if Bullock would have won it, but it's a more doable win for, you know, for, for Democrats than the current seat, which is the entire state. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people are talking in the chat about Colorado. Um we really don't know where the Colorado growth is from. I mean, if they're undercounting rules, um, if, if, you know, we, if the estimates weren't really taking into account where the people are coming from, the third could be a little bit more uh, reasonable. I do think them gaining a seat and having a commission means it's more likely, you know, the eighth district is going to be more competitive. I don't think this is going to be a six to two map necessarily, but someone like Bobert isn't really the most skilled politician and could make the third somewhat competitive, you know, um, also, Florida. I think Florida and Texas are really disappointing for Republicans. I think Republicans have been banking on gaining t two seats in Florida at minimum off of those. Um, you know, and in Texas, you know, that third seat could have been a vote sink in Austin. Now they have to you know, take that away from somewhere. Maybe that makes it a little more aggressive in the urban areas. Maybe you know, not drawing a vote sink in, in Dallas or Houston, or drawing you know an additional Democrat out in the RGV, but. You know, um, there's some of these are just really interesting things to look at. I could talk about North Carolina for a while. Is, I mean, it's my home state. It's it's one of my favorite states to draw, not just because it's my home state, but because it's a genuinely fascinating one. Um, Eric, are you, happy with new, are you happy with the new block editor that you can finally get rid of all water precincts? Oh, absolutely. I, I Look, I'm going to do them on the coast. I'm not going to go anally through in every single county and manually get rid of the water. But I do like being able to get rid of it on the coast, like the old voting district one editor used to do. You used to be able to get rid of it. And so you could actually see North Carolina's coast, the interior um, lakes, stuff like I that. that. Because I'm working on my two seat Delaware and the second district in the South, I'm working on getting rid of all the coastal water precinct, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I can kind of show North Carolina. Really obviously, yeah. yeah. You know, I think North – people are a little bit pessimistic on North Carolina. I really do think 8 to 5 is the most likely – or sorry, 9 to 5 is the most likely. 
draw. If they're if they're going to go ten to four, it's going to be an aggressive gerrymander. They could easily do a nine to a nine to or sorry a, a nine to five map, which would be fourteen seats, protect all their incumbents, um, shore up the you know rural urban areas. Um, I really don't think there's a need to draw as many Democrats out. Like I can show an example nine to five map I have here. Um, it's obviously using the previous estimates. We're, we're still waiting the census's official results, but you'll see here I've drawn five Democrats, 12, six, four, one, and two. Um, it's a little bit ugly in places like 14. The rest of it's pretty reasonable. Um, I don't think people would complain too much about on the democratic side, at least because they'd have their, you know, they'd have their, um, they'd have the fourth, they'd have an Alabama County seat with that. They'd have a wake seat, First would be more competitive, more you know, reasonable for them now. Whereas the current first could easily backfire in a decade. You know, lots of scenarios to go through. Uh, we will have to re- redraw all of our Texas maps, and I think our you know, if you look at our redistricting radar tool, um, New York in particular, we 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 literally argued about New York for I think weeks trying to figure out the perfect draw of that. Um, it really having twenty six seats actually really benefits. I think. Uh, because you don't have to draw out as much of the city aggressively. Um, kind of through the rest of these right here. Like, for example, just to share West Virginia, for example. This literally just bisects the Mooney seat. Charleston goes into two. The rest of it goes into one. Um, he'd be doomed. I mean, he would just genuinely be doomed. And we actually, to be fair, we actually predict. Yeah. We actually predicted um, – we actually predicted – you don't even have to split counties in West Virginia or Montana for that matter. We actually predicted mm-hmm. the 8-seat um, – we drew our maps with uh, 8-seat Minnesota in mind. Um, we, we predicted it would keep that 8-seat. We, we just had a hunch on that. That's also beneficial for both parties because it means they don't have to worry about getting rid of – having an Emmer versus Fishbach primary and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what would be the 6th district. They don't have to worry about – you know having a median seat in a state where frankly Democrats are just geographically disadvantaged uh, given the, the amount of, I mean, just to already have competitive seats, you have to throw St. Paul in with a suburban County and you have to draw uh, Minneapolis in with suburbs as well to make it just reasonably competitive. I think that's a beneficial thing for everyone here, you know, generally speaking. I talked to months about how there were three seats that were, the candidates for the 435th seat there were alabama seven minnesota eight and new york 26 and they were the they were the three districts i i um said in basically all of my articles it's going to be one of those three that mm-hmm. is going to that is going to um stay turns out all three stayed i thought like at the very at the very most extreme end it would be two of them if like illinois lost two seats or something like that but no, all three stayed, and then Rhode Island kept its seat as well, which made things even more, even more mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, Politico. I mean, Politico mm-hmm. was talking about earlier today about Illinois possibly losing two seats. Mm-hmm. Granted, they still lost a seat. They're one of only three states to have declined in population, um, but they weren't close to losing a second seat. That I mean, that wasn't even in the radar. I don't think if you look at the actual numbers. Yeah, another state I want to mention is Oregon. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yep, because um, the new um, for those unfamiliar with Oregon, 
uh, the legislature had reached an agreement where Republicans would stop doing something they were constitutionally allowed to do, which is demand that all bills be read before votes. Um, that's in the Constitution, so Democrats couldn't really stop it. It's also kind of a shameless obstruction tactic that was really not pleasing anyone. So they agreed to knock that off as long as Democrats gave them an equal seat at the table for congressional redrawing because the sixth seat was a given. It will get that sixth seat, and it could be a Republican seat or at least more competitive than right now. Yeah, um, we have um, multiple draws. Um, yeah, and another interesting thing about Oregon is that it has quite strict rules. Um, they're only in state law. They, they're not. Um, they're not uh, in the state constitution. It's just a guideline that state law gives that says um, districts. I mean, the usual things like districts have to be compact, contiguous, and all that. And then there's things like it can't split geographic boundaries. So mm-hmm. the Cascade, for instance, it can only cross that once, and it has Which to means be no divided. Portland. Yeah. And districts have to be united by major transport links as well, which is going to be difficult. They sort of, they sort of, like, there's debate, I think, about whether Oregon's map is a gerrymander or not. I think it is a gerrymander, but it's a very smart one. It's, it's one that, it's one that Democrats did by playing by the rules, really, but they still managed to protect all four of their incumbents for the whole decade. Yeah. It's, it's a strategic and, um, incumbent protection gerrymander. They drew it specifically with incumbents in mind rather than based off of demographic or political data, which is actually traditionally how Democrats used to draw gerrymanders. If you look at the South, yeah. places like Arkansas, um, that's an incumbent protection gerrymander that backfired. Oregon came <laughs> close, but that actually held because they had strong incumbents. Yeah. Um you know, I think I think this I think uh I'd be very surprised if Oregon didn't didn't gain a second Republican in the in Congress this year. Like like uh it's gonna be I mean even the, even if Democrats did have did have all the power, they it would be very hard, difficult for them to draw a five one map. They could draw they could draw some competitive districts in there and then like one safe Republican district, but even then in a year like twenty twenty two I mean, we still don't know if it's going to be an amazing year for Republicans or an okay year for them, but chances are there's not going to be an amazing year for Democrats. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to look at. Like like uh, uh, Peter, De- Peter DeFazio, he's, his district is basically guaranteed to, to move. It's... It's uh, it's not going to keep some of those college towns up in the northern part of the district, and it's going to gain some Republican ter- territory down in the south that it um, would gain from the second. And some people mention it going across the Cascades to include Bend. I don't think that would be allowed by state law. But, uh, yeah, I think he might have a tough raise on his hands. I hear clicking. Is someone mapping? I think uh, I think Harrison's doing something. Yeah, I was making a Rhode Island map, trying to get a Trump seat in Rhode Island. <laughs> it's interesting. Rhode Island is probably one. Of the I did. I got I got a seat in Rhode Island that mm-hmm. voted for Trump in 2016 by 0.7 percent. Hmm. Interesting. So certainly a competitive seat, and then the other seat's just going to be a sink with Providence in it. Yeah. No, I was really looking forward to that. 
incumbent versus incumbent primary that would have inevitably happened in Rhode Island, but it turns out we're not going to get it. Maybe in 2030. Maybe. (laughs) I know 31-year-old me will be very excited by that. Yeah. I doubt James Langevin will still be in the House because that would be 30 years. Yeah. Interestingly, Langevin is actually younger than um, Cicilline, yeah. yeah. He's a yeah. Uh, I never actually, I yeah. never actually knew that. Langevin's an interesting profile. I mean, he um, uh, he's uh, one of the few members of Congress with a visible disability. Uh, he's mm. also fairly moderate traditionally on abortion, which is more in common with some of the more blue collar. If you look at how just Rhode Island overall has one of the most conservative state Democratic parties in the country. Um, I mean, this is a state that passed photo voter ID with a Democratic supermajority. Um, this is a state that passed gay marriage where all the Republicans voted for gay marriage and like a good chunk of the Democrats didn't. It's a very, very strange state. Very strange. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to to new governor Dan McKee in 2022 mm-hmm. because he's he's very – I think he's very um, moderate relative to, to um, Rhode Island Democrats bench at the moment. Like he's – I'd say he's more moderate than – Raimondo, he almost lost his primary for for um, mm-hmm. his race in in twenty eighteen. He won that by about three points, so it's going to be difficult for him to. I think it's going to be difficult for him to win the primary this time around as sort of a non-elected incumbent, which doesn't really have the same weight as an elected incumbent. Um, are there any other uh, aspects of the reapportionment numbers that you'd like to discuss tonight? Mm. I'm still interested in, in North Carolina, I guess. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I think, I think the best bet, bet would be like a suburban Raleigh di- district, which, um, I mean, Eric, Eric knows more about the state than me because, like. Mm-hmm. From what I've heard, him. yeah. From what I've heard, and I'm at liberty to say, um, I don't think Republicans are going to split up. Um, I don't think they're going to split up the Greensboro seat. Or uh, my my theoretical mm-hmm. draw made a very safe Democratic seat with just Guilford County, Orange County, and then a portion of Alamance, the blue portion of Alamance in the middle, which would have allowed one, you know, the first district to have Durham, and would have allowed. Raleigh to go in the second and have only have three seats along mm. with one Charlotte seat, which would have had four. I don't think that's likely from what I've heard. So from mm. my, I, I think they're going to play around a little bit more with the Raleigh suburbs than I would like to see. Um, this is a Republican. Um, I think that would really, really backfire. I, I really don't think that'd be a smart move at all. Um, but I do think they're going to shore up the incumbents. I know there's a couple that care less about where their, where their district lies than others. Um, I would expect a map very similar to the current one. Uh, you may get Butterfield asking for Durham back in the first uh, if he's not comfortable with the current first, which is quite possible because it's not a seat that would be necessarily safe in a wave or in even 10 years. Um, mm. you know, we knew we were going to get a 14th seat. We were growing too fast not to. We were very close to last time. Minnesota kept us last time from our 14th seat. 
uh, which we deserved. We did not get. And now we're the ninth largest state, and we have a possibility of getting even more congressional districts in the future, you know, um, 15, 16, 17 seats possibly in the next few decades. Really exciting stuff. Mm. Oh, another thing I forgot to mention is there's going to be a ton of lawsuits. Like, uh, yeah, like, I think I think the numbers that we see now are going to be the eventual numbers, but a bunch of states are going to sue other states. Going to sue. Oh, um, New York for sure. To oh yeah, yeah, yeah New York yeah, is going to sue. New York definitely. Well, they're too close to. <laughs> they're too close not to. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if if some other states look at it. Arizona. Uh, I'm guaranteed Democratic states seem to care more about this than Republican ones. Um, but I think I think New York will sue for sure. I do want to respond to one comment here. If Republicans draw somebody out in North Carolina, who are they drawing out? From my guess, it would be more. Lo- There's only two they could really feasibly draw. They could draw out Kathy Manning, which is the the sixth district, which is Guilford County, all of Guilford, and then maybe half of Forsyth County, Winston Salem, and a few other areas. The other is De- uh, Deborah Ross and the second, which is uh, you know Raleigh Wake County. I would think she's more likely because they could, in theory, draw the first Durham back into the first, so scoop that around, take Chapel Hill, and then combine that with with Raleigh, and then chop up the suburbs of Raleigh. That would get that would place her into a one on one primary with David Price, who would be likely to win that as someone who has more of a history in that area. Assuming um, David Price doesn't just outright retire because he's been correct. In yeah, he is getting yeah. old again. Yeah, or or gets primaried by you know a you know, a justice Democrat or something, not that that would work here. Those would be the two, David Price or Deborah Ross, I would expect to be more likely to get drawn out. The first is going to be sued regardless of what it looks like, because the first, North Carolina's first district is an endless black hole of litigation that pleases no one, never will please anyone, and honestly should just be disregarded as a VRA district because you cannot draw a fair, compact, majority black district in the northeast of North Carolina. But the Supreme Court wants us to do that, but also doesn't want us to do that because that's packing. But they also don't want us to crack it too much because that's cracking. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do? We're just, I might as well just not draw it at this point, just not have a first district. But that obviously can't be a thing. So, really, I mean, there's going to be litigation regardless. That would just be where I, I see things going. But I do not think Kathy Manning is at risk of being drawn out. Uh, of the of the Democrats, she seems to be the one that's safest outside of the core Butterfield and uh, and Alma Adams. What's the fate the, of Deborah Ross? Uh, if she loses the primary to uh, to Price, then she's done. I mean, she could run statewide again, but she kind of got humiliated by Burr in 2016. Room for statewide office, I guess, Lieutenant Governor, maybe. I mean, she's a one-term representative at this point from suburban from Raleigh. Not really much. I mean, she's not done anything spectacular. She's just kind of been there. Same with Kathy Manning, to be honest. I mean, if you're going from my perspective as a Republican, it makes way more sense to draw out Kathy Manning because it's very easy to do that because there's a lot of wasted Republican votes in the Piedmont. But they really seem to be set on getting rid of of the Raleigh stuff for some reason. Maybe it's because they all live in Raleigh. I don't know. But that seems to be more what they're fixated on. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was I was um I was gonna make a comment about how in last year when they were drawing the when they were drawing the cycles North Carolina maps, they did it like it has its issues. Like it's I mean, I could I could 
gone all day long. Eric probably has thoughts because he knows the areas better than I do. But mm -hmm. in the in the end, it was drawn without without using any partisan data, and it was drawn with complete transparency. Now, granted, like that was just because the Supreme Court told them to. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I'm interested to see if they'll draw it the same way this time around. Because that that could be interesting. Like they could be, they could even be like a, an eight six map, if if um like I, I don't know. I'm not optimistic. I've I I think uh, most people on the Twitter universe that like sort of make fun of me for for the way I look at this this sort of thing. But I don't know. Anything could happen, right? They could they could be a they could be a Sandhills district. They could be a suburban Raleigh district that. Democrats could maybe feasibly win, maybe not. I don't think they get a second maybe. seat in Raleigh area. I think a second seat in Raleigh would be basically impossible because Republicans won't draw that. But also because honestly, the rest mm. of the area around Raleigh is still really red. Like the yeah. non-Rocky Mount portions of Nash County, Franklin County, Johnston County, like it's red surrounding it. I mean, you could throw in mm. Cary with it, but um, even even that's not going to make it a Democratic seat. Mm. Um I would now. I think the legislative maps will be fair. Destin Hall is is heading that. He's a representative mm -hmm. from my area. He's from Lenore, and he said publicly, which she will be held to account for that, that they're going to try to make this a bipartisan process, which I interpret to mean that for the most part, every incumbent will be fairly safe in their district. Um, that's just what I would see. It's not. And keep in mind, North Carolina is if I if you draw the if you draw lines under the rules North Carolina has. There's going to be a baseline Republican skew. Granted, North Carolina mm. has a baseline Republican skew at most levels at this point, even seats that were drawn for Democrats under the, the redraw that they wanted um, flipped. Like the, the Senate seat in New Hanover County that voted for Biden also voted at its Democratic incumbent. Um, you know, a Wake County seat that was drawn for Sidney Batch flipped. Um, mm. they, they had an own goal in Cumberland County where they primaried a conservative Democrat with a hardcore progressive and she ended up losing in a Biden seat. Um, I mean, really it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to look at the process here. I do think it's going to be a little bit more open than states like Texas or Florida, um, Georgia, for example. Um, but um, you know, that maybe just to have the blinders on from the state, but it's just going to be very interesting. Mm. Oh, here's a good question but from, from JW. Um, if we want to answer this here. So Ohio is – Tim Ryan's seat is going to be gone, obviously. Uh, he, he would be toast in the fair map. Uh, Steve Shabbat is probably going to be gone because if you draw a seat that's fair in in a Hamilton County, I believe is what it's called, um, it would be Democratic. Capture, probably not. But the thing is, Capture's seat is – would be marginally Democratic in a fair map. She actually has a benefit of having a gerrymandered seat because she's safe now. But – you could honestly draw a compact-looking map of Ohio where Democrats only have three guaranteed seats, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland, the three C's. Uh, you could, the rest of the state, you know, you could draw Akron into a red seat at this point. You could draw Dayton, which it already is, into a red seat. You could draw Toledo into a red seat. You could split, bisect the Columbus suburbs, north and south, or east and west, have Republican seats there. Um, honestly, you know, Unless you're going out of your way to draw Democratic seats, you could draw a very fair-looking map that's not really partisanly fair, that doesn't give Democrats a huge advantage or any more seats than they have right now. Um, it wouldn't be easy to do, but it could be done. 
I mean, here's what I think about. Here's what I think about Ohio. Like, first, first of all, it's going to be complicated because they have so many steps in the process that we don't really know what, whether they're going to get get a turn up or not. And second, like, even if Republicans want to gerrymander, there's not really much they can do. Like, one, they have one, they have some pretty strict requirements, like on county splitting, municipality splitting, and also they have a, a phrase that says that uh, clause in the constitutional amendment which says they can't they can't put an incumbent at an intentional advantage or just disadvantage now it's going to go to court uh who knows what's going to happen but yeah it's going to be difficult for them do you like do you remember the do you remember the rrh map which everyone got angry about because they called because they called it a fair map but it was actually 13 to for republicans like, yeah. I actually had a little look at that map uh, later on, and I found out that two of those districts, one of the one of them contained Cleveland, no, sorry, not Cleveland, uh, Cincinnati, which tried to draw as, ma- as ma- many Republicans into it as well, but they couldn't split Cincinnati, so it ended up being quite a competitive district. Another one was a uh, suburban Cleveland district, which is mm-hmm. going to be a bit of a problem for that. Anthony Gonzalez, well, a problem or, I mean, it's kind of a blessing and a curse in, in a way yeah. for him because if he gets a competitive district, he can say, oh, I'm the only Republican who can win here. So that And honestly, Max Miller is not impressing so far. Aside from fundraising, he's really not, he's not campaigning in person to the extent you would think someone would be doing from, you know, from that portion of mm-hmm. Ohio. He's really not doing what he should be doing. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, so I th- so yeah, I think those parts of Ohio nine, so Marcy Capital's district, which are in the Cleveland suburbs, I think they might they might get their own Democratic leaning districts. Capital's from Toledo, so um, that's going to be a bit more tricky because that area it used to be quite Democratic, but it's not really anymore. It's swung a lot in the last eight years, so she might be in for a bit of a for a bit of a rough fight in 2022. Uh, yeah. not, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a Republican gerrymander. It could be a fair map that puts her in a credited district because because there's not really many other Democratic areas apart from Toledo that you can find to really anchor, anchor her down. Yeah, it, that's she's. I think people are really overrating her as a person because she's never actually had to run in a competitive seat like this before. Um, mm-hmm. I, people are really overrating her chances when they say she's a really strong candidate. Yes, she she's run very well, but she's also running in a gerrymandered seat. It's like Tim Ryan. Like you don't get mm-hmm. bonus points for running running pretty okay in a Democratic seat. Like you're expected to do mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I mean Tim Ryan. I mean Tim Ryan was a strong candidate of his district until he wasn't. He only won by seven points in 2020. So yeah. In a very was, in a district that was drawn for him, that was quite literally exactly. drawn for for him. Exactly, and that's why I think he's gotten because it was a vote thing for Democrats, and it still came within three points in in the presidential election. Biden won it by three. Ryan won yeah. it by seven. So I mean, this is what a state yeah, had like yeah. it was drawn to have like what uh, Akron uh, portions of other cities. Like it was literally drawn like to be as democratic as possible, hmm. and it still almost flipped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that will be interesting. I think. 
it's difficult to tell. I uh, like there's so many ways that I can be drawn. I I um. Like, if Republicans really, really wanted, for some reason, to save Steve Chabot, um, they could draw something like this, which I didn't even put a lot of effort into. Mm-hmm. Um, this seat would have voted for Biden by around 4,000 votes. Chabot probably holds on in that case. But it's really not worth it because it also puts two at risk. Two is only R plus 10. That's down from R plus 18. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, if you look at basically what I drew here earlier, we cut out this gerrymander portion. Uh, the the non Cincinnati portion of of you know of that county of uh, let me make sure I got the county name right here because that'd be pretty embarrassing. Um, Hamilton. Hamilton County. Yep, Hamilton County. This portion went from being uh, Trump plus eleven in twenty sixteen to Trump plus three. Uh, you don't want to mess with that. That's pretty risky. Uh, most of the growth in the district was not drawn from Cincinnati. The Cincinnati portion only went from from D plus fifty to D plus fifty two. Um, it was really all from this area right here. Even the even the outer portions, which are not highlighted here, went from Trump plus thirty, you know, twenty six to Trump plus nine or Trump, yeah, Trump, Trump plus uh, Trump plus thirty six to Trump plus twenty nine. That's a pretty big shift right there. It's really not mm-hmm. worth trying to do it under the rules, which are that you can you can do that, um, but it, it's really not worth trying. I don't think. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also the Cincinnati suburbs are, are growing quite quickly. They swung quite big to Biden in 2020. Uh, so, yeah, whatever they draw in that area, they could potentially draw a district which takes in Cincinnati, but then, then stretches all the way to like Appalachia. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that um, Brad Wenstrup or Steve Shabbat or whoever it is represents that district. I'm, I'm not sure they would like that very much. But yeah, it it's um, an unknown how far they're willing to go at this point. I mean, again, there's no re- there's no need to risk it, right? I mean, you could draw feasibly. A reasonable district, a reasonable looking map um, that does everything Republicans want it to do without being a, a problem. Yeah, so mm. JW mentioned. Yeah, um, the eastern, the eastern uh, Cincinnati suburbs, eastern and northern in particular. If you look at a map of of where the the Cincinnati suburbs are trending, it's really mm. evident where the Republicans are and where they aren't. Um, let's turn a partisan lean right here. Like this is extending into northern ham into like this northern portion of these suburban counties, whereas right out here it's basically like rural, extremely Republican. It votes like the it votes like um, it votes like East Western Ohio, which is a traditional Republican bastion portion of Ohio. Like I'm pretty sure if I were to cut out, um, just like say chop off all of this right here, um, yeah, that's a pretty good dividing line. Chop off that and then. You know, draw whatever. I'm just gonna. This remaining portion right here would be Trump plus thirty. Granted, there's not a whole ton of people that live there. It's 199,000 compared to 289 for the rest of it. But you see, the growth in the Democratic portion is really from here. This is an area that went from from Biden plus or from Clinton plus seven to Biden plus sixteen, whereas the other portion that I showed here uh, went from 38 to 30. Again, that's pretty bad. But I also drew in some. 
some Democratic portions right here. Um, it's just an interesting portion of the state. I, I really do like looking at the Cincinnati mm-hmm. area because it's traditionally been a very Republican metropolitan area. Like it, it, in terms of metropolitan areas, it's usually been one of the more conservative in the country. This is a county mm-hmm. that voted for Kim Blackwell in 2006 when Republicans were getting destroyed, uh, destroyed statewide and nationally. Hamilton County stuck with them. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of shifting in recent years. Didn't Bush win as well? Yeah, Bush won it. Yeah, it was a Republican yeah. bastion. I mean, Ken Blackwell was, the, I think it was the mayor of Cincinnati for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mike DeWine traditionally won it. Uh, George Voinovich won it. Like, traditionally Republican area. Yeah. Um, I mean, another interesting um, place to watch in Ohio will be the Columbus area, because that's sort of an outlier to the rest of the state. That's growing extremely quickly. I, in my fair enough, I, I actually drew unintentionally. I drew say, two safe democratic districts in there because because I well, I sort of tweaked it a bit with with the release of the 2020, 2019 data uh, and that and I moved some things around because I wanted to keep columbus in two whole districts which is quite hard to do because it's so weirdly shaped um and it like stretches into like loads of different counties around there so um yeah i did that and and uh and it turns into a district which would have voted for clinton like by mid single digits and then voted for biden by like low double digits so like 15 20 ones because that yeah. area has just so much. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one thing that's really going to be interesting to look at is is, uh, is uh, sorry, um, is California. Um, mm. California is is a commission state, and we're we at elections league have done research and we're pretty convinced that the the commission is mostly staffed by liberals, which is fine. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. We're just not sure what that means for the future of the of the districts, but. Depending on how they draw it, it could really help Republicans or really hurt them. Um, arguably, the the current Central Valley split is way too generous to Democrats. You don't need mm-hmm. that level of, of split. Really splits up a lot of cities in particular. Northern California got unnecessarily screwed. It should have two Republican seats, and the rural areas up there only has one. Um, on the other hand, Southern California, it's a lot of the seats are Biden won Republican seats that are going to be difficult to hold. Um you know, we, we, uh, one thing maybe positive for Republicans is that one of the commissioners is very, very interested in expanding Asian representation. Uh, the current mm-hmm. map of, of, uh, of the state is really uh, not great for Asian voters. It, it could easily have more Asian seats than it does, but the, the, the previous commission prioritized different things, which resulted in Asian voters not quite getting, you know, the level of, of uh, you know, opportunity they could have under a fairer map. Um, just, uh, just a couple of things you'll want to keep an eye on, you know, as we approach that next cycle, it's, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting, um, one of the more important ones given its number of districts, but also it's losing a representative and we have no idea where it's going to come from other than it's probably from, mm. from Southern California, probably based around LA County. Yeah. Yeah. California is a pretty difficult state. I, I think, I think there's going to be. It's probably going to have like like in 2012. I remember I tweeted about this once. There were like I think 14 freshmen from that from that year, like 14 incumbents displaced. Some of them retired. Some of them were drawn into districts with each other. Some of them were uh, 
primaried by well primaried like beaten beaten by uh challenges from their own party like beat star for instance mm-hmm. uh and then you got beat by eric swalwell of all people <laughs> yeah by swalwell exactly uh and uh yeah we might see the same here so it might not just be like one district that's that's clearly eliminated it might it might just be it might just be a whole lot of districts eliminated then a whole lot more created from them so we might see mm-hmm. some new, new faces yeah. in california yeah one thing to keep in mind la county's uh democrats they're democrats in in the county which all they, they only represented from the county i think there's two i think part mm-hmm. of young kim's district goes into the into la county and obviously mm-hmm. mike garcia's district is mostly based in la county um, aside from that, the Democrats there are actually quite old and are at the point where they may want to retire anyway beyond this. Yeah. Yeah. I, but yeah, if you, have any, you if you have any other questions, please ask them because we're probably going to hop off at some point here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Harrison has to get off at some point soon, but if you have any more questions, please ask them. But get back to what you're saying, uh, Nick. Uh, I was going to say something. Um no, I completely lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's something about LA County. I can't remember what it was. Mm. Sorry, you were talking about Young Kim. Like, um, it was something to do with that. I I remember. Uh, hmm. Yeah, no, I think that was it. I don't think there's anything. I don't, I don't think there's anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I posted in the comments for you guys uh, a new DRA update is incoming apparently in the next few hours that incorporates some of the census yeah. projections. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to do that. I think it's probably just shifting the number of districts that they have listed as projected. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty much done drawing DRA maps in a lot of these states for a while because the numbers were so hilariously off. In places like New Jersey <laughs> or New York, it's, it's really unworkable. Even Del- even Rhode Island, like the population, we don't know where that's coming from. So it's going to be a challenging state to work with, I think. Yeah. But it's in there in the, it's in, there in the comments for you guys who are interested in your DRA-holics, I guess, is whatever the term would be. Um, but yeah, if, unless there's any other questions, I guess we might just hop off here fairly soon. Um, I don't know when uh, Harrison wants to do that. Um, I've just... Uh... I have a lot of extra work to do tonight, but I was just finishing up a 13-seat New Jersey map. Actually, quite interesting because you can give the Republicans in Ocean County vote sync and still have a safe seat for Chris Smith with 13 seats. Interesting. Yeah, and you can get two Trump seats as well uh, in the West if you because you can draw Bonnie Watson Coleman in the 12th into the same seat as Andy Kim and do a short-up Democratic seat. Mm-hmm. One more question I think we got that we can answer before we head off. Okay. Are you guys good? Do you have anything else to say? <laughs> I mean, mm. quite interesting, but I think yeah, we, we covered all the bases. I mean, we could cover every single state if we wanted to, but don't think there's enough time in the day for that. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately not. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I think I've 
I've uh, I think we've covered all the main things. Okay. Uh, in that case, then I, I think we'll just probably wrap up for the night. Mm -hmm. So thank you, everybody, for watching this open discussion special on reapportionment. And we'll be back next time. And uh, make sure you keep watching us to see updates to our redistricting project because we're going to have to change a couple things given the recent changes from the census. So thank you yep. and good night. Mm -hmm.